1: All right, let's do this thing. We're back. The Unsackable Podcast is back. My name is Manuel Fate, and um, guess who's back, guys? Haven't haven't heard or seen anything from him for a while, but yeah, Josh is back. Josh, how's it going? It's been too long.
0: It has. I've I've yeah, I've been a little busy. Made it a little difficult for you guys to to do the podcast with me, but I'm excited to be back. We have a lot to talk about. Clearly, one game sticks out to me, but even besides the the Champions League games and both uh, the Concacaf Champions League and and the European Champions, there is some behind-the-scenes things that are going on as well with some clubs. So I'm really in- interested to hear your guys' take, but just generally excited to be back.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you back. And um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, you are back. Filippo is not, um, but that's all right. It's just going to be a Canadian-only show today. and There's something positive about that. We don't have some American complaining about all sorts of things, mostly Greg Berhalder and MLS, so um it's going to be a nice refreshing not very rude podcast i think but yeah um joining us today as well is adrian adrian
2: how's it going it's going well it's going very well so yeah as you said Filippo, he is now serving his one match suspension after i don't know how how many matches josh just served but it felt like a lot like you said it feels like we haven't spoken to josh for a very long time so it's nice to have him around of course we, you know, we, we play around with Filippo, but it's all love. We will miss him and uh, hopefully we'll have the whole gang together for the first time in what feels like a very long time next week. But beyond that, I'm really excited to talk about the Champions League and a little bit of Chelsea as well, right, Manuel?
1: In a little bit. You think uh, it's going to be
2: more than a little bit.
1: Uh, Adrian, it's actually, that, that, that's something that the two of us on the top will cover right away because like, we did a video last week together. Um, it's very good, by the way. Well done. I thought it was very interesting. Um, and the hammer has now come down. The British government has sanctioned Roman Abramovich. Um, took a long time. I don't know why the UK took so much longer than all the other normal countries around Europe. Um, must have something to do with their special status as being no longer in the European Union. Or maybe something to do with uh, Mr. Johnson's first name, Boris, uh, maybe the UK... UK-based oligarchs get it off a little bit easier than the rest uh, of the oligarchs in the rest of the world. But here we are. Um, Roman Abramovich sanctioned all of his businesses no longer allowed to operate, except for one. That's Chelsea. Like, Chelsea are sanctioned, but they're still allowed to operate under (laughs) Russia regulation license. Um, They can still pay players and staff, pay outstanding transfer fees, spend maximum £500 pounds on staging games, um, receive payments, which will be frozen. And that license will run until May 31st. Uh, the Russia regulations license also prohibits Chelsea spending more than £20,000 on away game travel. That's going to be interesting. I guess the players will have to pay themselves to go to Champions League games. Um And this license expires on May 31st. So they can't sign anyone to new contracts until then. And maybe they're not even allowed to operate after that.
2: Um, Adrian, seeing all of this, what's your first, first thoughts? First thought was, I mean, just like yours, why did it take so long? I know that there is, you know, as you mentioned in the video, they were giving until Monday, this past Monday, in order for all of these oligarchs to sort of get rid of all their assets so that they can, you know, get that money coming in and pull themselves out of the UK. And that's what all of them are looking to do. You know, you heard stories about them sending all their mega yachts to the Maldives um, and all sorts of things like that. Apparently, Abramovich was looking to sell all of his properties in London. I don't know how that's gone. I haven't really paid attention to that because I don't really have a, a London real estate YouTube channel. So it's not of my interest. But One thing that Boris Johnson also said when they were sort of discussing it, you know, in the, what is it? The House of Commons in the UK? Is it the same as Canada? I'm not sure. But all the MPs were discussing it. Why hasn't he been sanctioned yet? Why is it taking so long? Boris said, well, it's not right to speak about individual cases, sort of a cop-out answer. And he also said it wouldn't feel right taking away the Chelsea Football Club, which is a club that's so important to so many British citizens. So it felt like you could you could see it coming down the line, that there was going to be some special treatment for Chelsea. It wasn't going to be a hard rule of... Everyone gets sanctioned and your assets are frozen immediately without question. But, you know, seeing some of the things that are happening now, I mean, you already saw pictures perhaps of the Chelsea megastore. It's closed immediately. They cannot sell merchandise. As you said, the players or something are going to have to all maybe carpool to matches. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's all very, I guess, scary if you're a Chelsea supporter because it, it makes it very unclear. And the longer that this war wages on... I mean, there's no end in sight. And also another important thing that I'm not sure if you mentioned or not, but there's sort of conflicting reports as to whether Roman Abramovich is actually able to sell the club right now. Um, I've heard that he cannot. And if he does, that money will then go just like straight into the the government, basically, that they will take control of the club and the sale will not go to Roman Abramovich. So he would essentially just be handing over all of the uh, profit or all of the money that he would receive from the sale straight to the government. So it's, you know, it's a hard sanction, I would say, in my opinion. But I know, Manuel, you feel that it's almost soft in some ways, don't you?
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's soft because of what's the difference between Chelsea as a company and some of the other operations that Oprah, Oprah has in the UK and they're not allowed to keep operating? Um a hard sanction would have been to, to not allow Chelsea to keep operating and no longer allow to pay staff and no longer allow to play payers. And um, the consequence of that, of course, would have been bankruptcy, which is an automatic nine point um, point deduction in, in the Premier League, which I personally think is soft too. In Germany, it's an automatic relegation to the fourth division. But um, here we are, the Premier League handles things a little bit differently than the rest of the world. Um, we all know this. Um, I think it's soft. Um, look, you, if you thought that Chelsea was that Chelsea was um, anything but a tool in a Brown, which is tool set of 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 his special relationship with the United Kingdom, you were living under a rock, and this was clear from the very outset when he bought the club. And so, I think it's just it would have been fair to to make these sanctions even harder. Um, maybe that's still coming. I don't know, Adrian. I, I don't know what what how you feel about this, but maybe that's still coming. But in the end of the day, I mean, Abramovich is a key figure in in the Russian government. And um, as we said in the video, he was actually instrumental in getting Putin appointed in the first place. You know, this isn't just some business person who's hard done by, by getting his uh, favorite toy taken away. This is a person with an enormous amount of influence in the the, the daily Russian government. And um, because of that, this is the sort of person that we need to put under pressure to get Putin to change his mind and um maybe this is harsh, right, and maybe this is affecting a lot of people that have not to do have nothing to do with the war in Ukraine, but at the same time, like these people are all happy and willing to take the money right um so I don't know, I don't know what you think, but this is one of those things where I'm just like <sighs> I don't know, it's It's also so typical Premier League, isn't it?
2: It does sort of feel that way. But I I think what they're sort of grappling with is we need to put pressure on Roman Abramovich. But at the same time, do we just dissolve a club completely that so many people within the country support? So I think that they sort of have this romantic notion of we can't take this club away from people. We can't take this, I guess you could call them an institution within why the league at this point. Yeah, I know. Why, I, I,
1: why, how is that different to, let's say, a
2: museum that he owns or funded? Right? I think because of the... Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. Um, but I think that the split is basically, do we take this away and, and just outrage people and, and make everyone upset? Or do we actually just... <laughs> perhaps, I guess you could say, do the right thing and put all of this pressure on him in order for the political side of things. Because is it, you know, how do you weigh this? Is it more unfair that people lose their football club or is it more unfair that the Ukraine is getting invaded and bombed and innocents are losing their lives? That's ultimately what it comes down to, I think. And I think that as unfortunate as it would be to lose Chelsea, God, it sounds heartless to say, but I mean... I don't know, Manuel. I I have a hard time with this because I can I can sympathize because I would hate to see my club just vanish, just get evaporated, just like that. No but one asked any questions side.
1: when when the money came in and the club won all these trophies. Yes, no one right. asked any questions. Yeah, and there has to be consequences for that as well. You, the, you, if you didn't ask questions of where the money came from and what was it doing, and there's so like. And if you are one of these other Premier League fans thinking this is funny, think about where your club is getting the money from because there's a lot of examples in that league where it's just as bad, right? But like maybe this would have been a great lesson for some of these Premier League fans out there that maybe ask where the money is coming from and how your club is financed and how your club is able to win all this stuff. Because oftentimes it's not not as like as clear as you think. And I think this is my takeaway from it. And this would have been a great example to set, but they're not gonna do it, obviously, because the then you would have to go after some of the other owners as well. So, you know, like this is the Premier League. What's really interesting though, Adrian, is and we have the the big elephant in the room is of course what's going to happen to Everton, right?
2: Yeah, of course. Because as, as we know, Alisher Uzmanov, he plays an integral role at that club as far as the advertising uh, partnerships, the, uh, the sponsorships, I should say. Like I believe one of them is Megaphone. That was a big one. I mean, they had Megaphone on the front of the kits for the women's side. Um, and so, while well, I think officially it's, uh, it's the other guy, Farhad Moshiri, I believe, that is the official owner. His former secretary aha so there you go so is that sort of was now it starts you start to speculate was that sort of a front so that he wasn't the face of it and that he could not get that heat on the club itself i don't know but yeah that's absolutely the elephant in the room because not only is everton absolutely struggling thanks to you know terrible management of the club and then also we got to say appointing frank lampard for a relegation battle is not the move but now you cut off the financials it's very scary for them, isn't it? Yeah, and it should be. Eh. But here's my question for you. <laughs> I'm here's sorry, my but like,
1: I I just don't feel sorry for these people. Like this, like I've been on this for for years, and you, you know that I used to I used to write it, it, a lot about Russian football. I have a PhD in in Russian football and politics, and like I wrote about this stuff being an issue. And I, I'm sorry, like. This is sport. This was always sport washing. So, yeah. like, I I just don't feel sorry for these clubs and their fans because this is this isn't this isn't just like this wasn't a secret.
2: I think I mean, I agree with you in some respects. I would say I I don't feel sorry for the for the people who jumped on the you know, sort of the, let's call them the quote unquote glory hunters that jumped Mm -hmm. on Chelsea because they started doing so well and they have so much money and they built up a massive fan base of new fans around the world. Maybe I feel a little less bad for them, but I do feel bad for the fans that have been there all along. And, you know, they saw these ridiculous heights that the club got to, but then you factor in the fact that it was, let's call it dirty money. I don't know. What do you think is a fair trade-off? Let's say the government seizes the club, Roman Abramovich gets none of the sale and they get a new owner. Is that a fair trade-off? And maybe Josh could chime in here as well, if he thinks that that's fair as well. I think
1: restart in the, in the lowest division, but um, Josh, you go ahead.
2: <laughs>
0: I, just, I don't know. Listening to Mano, he, just ha- he has no sympathy whatsoever. No, I have no sympathy.
1: Um, I'm sorry, Josh, but I just don't.
0: <laughs> it, it's hard. I mean, you both make good points. I mean, it, again, I just, I go back to just think of the, the fans and I mean, but i think it would be it'd be a shame to see but at the same time like the, like if you go on social media like a lot of the new like you've mentioned glory hunters uh following chelsea since they had roman Abramovich come in here it's like where would that team kind of be without them and now it's almost like they might have to go back to their roots i think it would be cruel to ship them both down to the to the league 2 or the the national league um i'm not really sure what the right cuz this is unprecedented this this hasn't really happened before i don't know what the proper sanctions are i think either way whichever one, when it way goes some people are gonna be upset from both spectrums of it i personally think it'd be a little cruel but uh you know i have a am a little softer than manual apparently
1: yeah um there's a nice german term mitgehangen mitgefangen if you were involved while the crime happened you're also um involved in the in the you're also going to be suffering as part of the punishment and i'm not saying alleged i'm saying all like of course of course we have to add lots of alleged and so on to this um not saying that mr brown which is a criminal that's not true at all but i'm just saying that like if you are involved in the surroundings of someone who's being receiving sanctions then that's, you also have to carry some of the consequences. Um, we'll see what those consequences are going to be. Knowing the Premier League, there's going to be none because that's how it works
0: there, but um, we'll see. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big two. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If sportsbook isn't available in your state, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. There will be details in the notes section of this podcast for more details about DraftKings.
1: Guys, um, let's move to the Champions League. And... Uh, Josh, you're the only person who is going to be uh, okay with this first game because you weren't on the show. But uh, Adrian, Bayern
2: Salzburg, this wasn't close at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> all of us were music. Oh, this is the best time to play Bayern. This is the, you know, if, if ever there was a time to expose Bayern, now would be that time. But then the team sheet comes out. And like you mentioned in our group chat, Manuel Neuer makes the return and the difference that he makes in that team, not only for his shot stopping ability, it goes way beyond that. He is their leader. He's the one that will come out and cut off those passes that go over the top. He's the one that settles that defense and the entire team just settles when they have his presence in there. And, you know, of course it doesn't help that you can see two penalties in the first 20 minutes either. And once that happened, once Bayern scores a goal or two, and they sort of smell blood in the water, they just go crazy. And so many teams have suffered at their hands, such as Barcelona, such as Tottenham, such as Arsenal losing 10-2 on aggregate. And it just felt like something that could have been so close if Manuel Neuer wasn't in there. And if they hadn't conceded those two penalties at the beginning, it just went down the script of, uh, you know, classic Bayern, just absolutely destroying teams once they get a few goals in there. And I mean... (laughs) We definitely look silly now listening back to that podcast. But hey, that's that's football, man. It makes a fool of us all, right?
1: Well, I have to point out that I didn't think that Neuer was going to be back for this. And then when I saw him on the team chat, I was like, uh-oh. And then they think they scored within the five minutes. I was like, I think I remember writing into the chat, this is not going to be close at all.
2: Remember that, Adrian? <laughs> Uh, yes exactly and I was as I was watching that match I had both matches going on and as I was watching and I was doing a live stream at the time and I saw your text and I just started laughing because it was just you could see it coming a mile away once that first goal went in and just the domination I mean there was that moment in the first two minutes or so where actually Kingsley Coman made an integral integral Uh, block I guess it was a tackle Mm. slash block on was it Capaldi or Capaldo I can I can never remember his name Capaldo yeah yeah Capaldo and I mean maybe just maybe had that gone in we could talk about a different game but just the way that Bayern were playing and just how disorganized Salzburg were at the back it just felt like they were shell-shocked and they couldn't recover following those two goals so I oh man I feel for them they were exciting but uh RIP Bayern, the deserved winners ouch yeah Uh, Josh,
1: so in this case, not mitgehangen, nicht mitgefangen. So you are completely exempt from um, getting this prediction completely wrong. Well done. Um, (laughs) Skipping the podcast where where we pretended this might actually be close. How did you see this game?
0: Yeah, it was strategy getting out of that podcast, making sure I didn't put myself in that predicament. But no, uh, I think beforehand, I think I, I my predictions. I think I said it'd be like a four two game, and then another four two game, or a five two game. Like I, I thought it'd be high scoring. Obviously, the first one was an impressive performance for Salzburg. And and the word I guess I could could use was relentless. Whether whether it was the the urge that the team got when when they knew that my, Manuel Neuer was coming back, even though I personally think Neuer there not they were going to win. But regardless, it's what he brings to the to the change rooms. What he what they know that they can do when he's there. And on top of that, they were just they they woke up. I don't know if they were just super disappointed with the, the result in Salzburg, which is fair. But from right from the off, pretty much. Besides that early block, like Adrian talked about, they were just there for the and they just took it to Salzburg. The goals that Lewandowski scored a 22 minute hat trick were impressive. I really liked the game of Leroy Sané. I thought he was electric throughout. I kind of like him playing in the middle. Obviously, when you picture him and the speed he has, you, you picture him a little bit more towards the touchline. But they play that 3-4-2-1 system where they have those kind of cams. And I just think Liversano is just so good on the ball. Having that pace as well gives him that extra dimension. And I thought he had a really good game. It was it was nice to see him get that goal towards the end to, to cap off a good performance. Thomas Muller as well. I think it was the fifth goal he scored. And it was a nice turn and, and finish. But you could just see on his face, he's, they, they were hungry for more. They wanted to take it to Salzburg and show that yeah, that, that was just a—it was a blip in the, in the first match, and, and we're here. We're we're a team that should be going pretty deep in this competition, and yeah, eight-two on aggregate, so <laughs> was not close. No, it was not.
1: Um, I just think that when Neuer is back there, they just—you could see how they play out of the back, and they, sometimes they also do passes through the box um, that they wouldn't do when Ulreich is back there. Um, and I think it was the the third and the, the second penalty as well when Neuer was actually directly involved in the build-up. And it just makes a huge difference. I think the entire chemistry of the team is different when he's back there. And I think there is no other goalkeeper on the planet that changes a, a team's um, tactical setup, both defensively and offensively. Um, and I think this is maybe where he's generational. Because you can just see the difference. And that's not to say that Ulrich was at fault for Bayern not playing as well or conceding some of these goals, because I don't think Neuer would have necessarily stopped those goals. But it's just the way that they are set up is so dramatically different under him. Because all of a sudden you have um, a guy like Süle playing back a ball that he would never play back to Ulreich, right? And then that ball then goes back forward and results in a goal. So, Josh, like... I think these are the things that you really see the difference between Neuer and Ulreich.
0: 100%. And the point I was going to just elaborate on that as well was also with this this system that they're playing, you almost need Neuer in there. Uh, with Sula, Pavard, and Hernandez playing at the back of three. The, the three at the back with their their wing backs. Or heavy. You want to look at them with Komen and Gnabry, it tells you that it's a pretty attacking-looking System. So having those three center backs and knowing that Manuel Neuer is almost that fourth player back there to, to keep up. I 100% agree. I think it was a combination of, of Neuer coming back, doing what he does onto that team, but also them. I just thought they were relentless when you've seen some of the, and there was a, there's a graphic I saw on Twitter of some of the biggest, I think, knockout ties uh, score wise that I, I can't remember who shared it, but it had Bayern in there. I think four of the five or five, four of the six in there and they've won like seven, one, seven, nothing. They get in that mindset. And they are just relentless. And that's just the word I want to use because it was, they just took it to Salzburg. They put their foot on the neck and they did not take it off in the 90 minutes. It was almost sad to watch because Salzburg, I thought, was so impressive to make it to the knockouts, that resolve that they had at home. It was all positive, but then it kind of just a reality check that this is what Bayern can do. And yeah, I mean, they probably scared the crap out of some of the other teams that they're going to get potentially drawn against in the next round. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's good for them as well because I thought. A couple of their results have been talking about, like you said, not a good time to maybe or a good time to want to play in right now because things just aren't clicking. Well, they did here and this is what they can do.
1: Yeah, I reckon uh, Manuel Neuer timed his meniscus operation perfectly. Um, he took out a junk of time where he could get the, re- did the operation, the recovery, and he came back just for the right match and statement win, um, 7-1. Um, very, very impressive. Um,
2: Adrian, yeah. Just a quick aside, and no Barcelona supporter is going to thank me for this, but it is crazy to think that on aggregate against Salzburg, they scored eight goals to two. And in one single match, Bayern did that to Barcelona. That just puts it into perspective even more how insane that result was from two years ago. I just wanted to add that. I apologize to Barcelona supporters for bringing that up again, but I think it just is, you know, once again, this is what Bayern are capable of. Like Josh said, they just, they frenzy They frenzy and they go crazy. And another thing as far as influential goalkeepers, I think that that is a really good point. And I think the only keeper that maybe comes close to Manuel Neuer as far as being integral to the actual game plan, even in the attack, is maybe Ederson at Manchester City, given his distribution and some of the assists that we've seen him pick up. Maybe Allison. Um, As far as, you know, you take those two goalkeepers out of those two lineups and the team plays differently, both in defense and the attack. But Manuel Neuer is just, people thought he was done years ago um, and he just continues to get better. He's how old now? 35 or something like that. And he doesn't look like he's had any sort of fall off in the last little while. So, I mean, credit to Bayern. It is incredible to see what they're doing and a credit to Manuel Neuer. Still the best, eh? Boys, what do you think? Right now, yes, for sure. Absolutely. I I can't see anyone sort of usurping him at this moment.
0: Yeah, me too. I I thought when he was, when people thought he was drifting off, I was a big O Black fan. I still am an O Black fan. We just know that he's having a pretty poor season. I think O Black's a very, very special keeper, but it's just, Neuer's just different. Again, I feel that's the word. He's just, he's a different style. He's a a different presence. Um, And he's a little unorthodox, but it, it makes it work. So, I mean, at this moment, 100% hands down, he's, He's the best. Maybe the only player
1: Bayern cannot uh, replace long term. Um, him and Lew- Lewandowski, of course, who was also phenomenal. Yeah, can't forget that, guys. Um, Liverpool against Inter. There was a moment here, Josh, where maybe Inter could have made it close, and then Alexis Sanchez happened.
0: It was brutal. That was the game I was keeping an eye on a little bit more, just simply because the other scoreline was <laughs> was a little ridiculous. But. Uh... It, it it was a shame because I mean I thought I thought Inter played relatively well at home even though they lost two nothing and I thought that two nothing home loss for them was probably enough to put the game to bed. And then this match, I thought Inter did a lot of the right things. Uh, they got they got lucky. Kind of seemed like it wasn't going to be the, their day for Liverpool, which in the end it wasn't because they only they lost, they lost the match. But Salah going off the the post a couple times, and then lataro Martinez coming in with just an unbelievable strike, brings them right back in it. And I I think there, was a, there would have been a chance. I really do think there would have been a chance that they could have found an equalizer to put this thing to extra time because everything was turning in their direction. And then Alexis Sanchez does something stupid. And and in my opinion, he should have been sent off in the first half. And maybe that had that was on the ref's mind. But regardless, he got that first, that first yellow. And in my opinion, this was a second yellow. If you're going to go in like you did in the first half and you didn't learn your lesson seconds after you just got your, the team pack into it, it was just it was stupidity it, it's it's a shame because if he didn't have that first tackle um i don't think he i don't know i just i just can't understand it because you watch both of them they're both they're both risky the one in my opinion i'm curious to see what you guys sent should, are going to say there was a huge mark that he left it, 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 a lot of people were upset that he didn't get sent off there so the fact that he didn't learn from it is it, just it's a shame because it, it put the game to bed as soon as that red card came out
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. Sorry, Manuel, to cut you off there. But I was, deep down, I was seething because Alexis Sanchez robbed us of an incredible final half hour in that game. I mean, that would have been amazing the way that the sort of the momentum felt like it was starting to swing because prior to that, you know, interplayed well, but as far as a threat around the goal, it wasn't really happening for them. You know, I think their final XG in that game, I'm not like a huge XG guy, but just as sort of a guideline, I think their final XG was only 0.26 for the entire match. So they weren't really in it prior to that, but it felt like that could be the moment you score a worldie like that. The entire team is completely jacked up, ready to go. And then moments later, Alexis Sanchez, a guy who like like Josh, sorry, absolutely highlighted. He flew into that tackle on Tiago. Could have got sent off for that. And there was moments all over the place where he was he was just really flying in aggressively. And I thought that he would have been taken off earlier for someone like you know Atuku Correa or something like that but no he wasn't taken off at that time he paid the price and you could see it in Inzagi's face i'm sure you guys saw the image that I was sort of doing the rounds that hello darkness my old friend of of inzaki on the sideline just seeing how they were just They had all this wind in their sails, and then it was like someone just took a an exacto knife to those sails and just slashed them, and it was over at that point. But I think that uh, you know, like I said, we were robbed of a final thirty minutes that would have been unbelievable. Um, But they were they were fortunate in some respects as well. Luis Diaz, you know, credit to Arturo Vidal for that block on Luis Diaz that could have put the game to bed. We also had Salah hitting the post twice, Matip hitting the crossbar. So I think that if you look at the balance of it, Liverpool were absolutely the deserved team to go through we got to give credit to inter for really making it difficult for them but uh man what could have been in that match I mean I just ah I can't shake it that would have been an excellent final 30.
1: easiest yellow card ever and um as a consequence of course a sending off people were saying like this is not a red and I'm like yeah it's not it's a yellow and he already had one so That's accumulative yellow, red, yellow, double yellow and a red. I mean, (laughs) I I think people, some people still have to maybe take a look at the loss of the games um, because this isn't obviously, yes, not a straight red, but yeah, easiest yellow card you can ever give and a dumb tackle. um, So killed the game and I'm with Adrian. It's really unfortunate that it did rob us of, you know, 30 minutes of very, very high intense football that could have maybe gotten taken this game to extra time or more. Um, wasn't meant to be, it's unfortunate, but that's okay because, um, the next day we did get those final 30 minutes, um, in Real against PSG. Guys, wow. Um, I think we all said on the podcast, well, Josh wasn't there, um, but I'm pretty sure. Josh, what was your prediction for this one again?
0: Yeah, you guys got me on here cuz I I'm ah. the only one who didn't say uh Madrid. And oops. I mean, <laughs> watching that, watching that again, and I'll put my hand up, but like you guys got me. But to to be honest, and I am curious to get your guys' opinion, like do you guys really believe that Madrid was the better team? over the two legs and this is a, a, a team that could threaten to actually win the competition this year because i personally didn't really see that at madrid what i did obviously notice in the last 30 minutes of that two leg is that psg is a bunch of individuals because they in the first leg i think they should have won by more than one they didn't and in the second leg they were up two nothing they were cruising and then just to fall apart the way they did is just shocking they handed that match on a silver platter to Madrid, and I'm, and there's going to be a couple of big talking points that, again, I'm curious on, on your thoughts. The one, obviously, is did you think that the foul was on on Donnarumma because that changed everything? I personally thought it was a mistake on Donnarumma, and then like Donnarumma's mistake, yes, he kind of got bodied. I just thought it was funny that he got bodied by Benzema, and then Benzema puts in the back of the net, and then Marquinhos got unlucky in the second one, and then Marquinhos just handed it away. It was just, you couldn't believe it. You couldn't take your eyes off the screen. You're like, is this seriously happening? Just... Piss away the the last 120 minutes that you or 120 minutes plus that you did all this good work in, it, it was just shocking. So I, I'm I'm really excited to get your guys' takes. I think it's classic PSG.
1: Um, I guess all that sport washing money can't buy you a Champions League title. There's there's justice in the world um after all but I I mean honestly I think Josh you hit the nail on the head it's a bunch of individuals isn't it um there isn't really much of a team there and you saw it in the first leg where I thought both teams kind of looked like a bunch of individuals Mm -hmm. and I I actually thought it the same about in the second leg because it's only this time around uh one team of a bunch of individuals had a guy named Karim Benzema who who scores a hat-trick in I think 16 minutes 17 minutes um, almost breaking Lewandowski's record um, the, from the previous day because Lewandowski, of course, got one in 10. Um, yeah, it's. I think it, that's really what was the difference. But Benzema was unbelievable. I mean, the the fact that he, people don't often talk about him in the same category as some of the other top world-class players. I mean, he's right there as one of the best players on the planet. He is in the same category, in my opinion, than Robert Lewandowski. And Lewandowski is the best, in my opinion, the best player at the moment right now. So, you know, if you keep that in mind, like he is really, really good. And he makes a difference in a game like that. And as good as Mbappe is, and Mbappe had a good game as well, but like sometimes you just realize that he on his own cannot carry this team. And speaking about carrying the team, Adrian, did Leo Messi play?
2: I believe he was spotted at the stadium, but aside from a little dink over the keeper, we didn't see much from him. Oh, and that free kick towards the end where he hit the roof of the net. But other than that, I mean, we didn't really see him play. I think that you can say out of the front three, Mbappe overshadowed everyone else. But I I 100% agree with you guys about being a collection of individuals. And I kind of went in on, on PSG in a video that I did this time because that's exactly what it is. And you're never going to have a different outcome in the Champions League when you have a collection of individuals. Because when you look at that squad, maybe you could make an argument for Marquinhos, but there's no icons of the club. There's icons of football for sure. Neymar, Mbappe, Messi. But actual icons of the club, you know, they don't have Emmanuel Neuer. They don't have... A Thomas Muller. They don't have, even if you look at someone, I don't know, Juve, Chiellini, they don't have that. You look at their opponents, they don't have a Modric, a Benzema, guys who will die on the pitch for that club. They don't have that. And so once they start to face a little bit of challenge in the game, once they start to see that control of the match starts to slip away, it is a quick, quick, downfall you could see it in hakimi throwing in tackles that he has no business throwing in you could see it in prnell kimpembe throwing in tackles maybe could have got himself sent off at one point with these ridiculous tackles he was throwing in there you could see it in the compo- or sorry in the posture of neymar and messi after they conceded one two it was almost like you could see the ptsd kicking in of oh my god is this going to happen again is this going to happen again and again like manuel said it goes to show that the sporting project at PSG does not work because you bring in individuals that are basically, you know, this sounds harsh, but a lot of these players are basically mercenaries. And I'm sure that there are some that want to see PSG do well, such as a Verratti, such as a Marquinhos, etc. But a lot of them, they're, they're attracted to the glitz and the glam of it. And it hasn't worked. And I'm happy to see that because the difference between a PSG and even a Man City is that Manchester City have a cohesive, holistic approach. They're buying players that fit the whole mold of the club that fit the vision of Guardiola and all the people that are running the club. They're trying to increase their academy and they're trying to give opportunities to their academy so that they can build naturally. Not just this one last time, let's sign Sergio Ramos, Messi, Hakimi, Donnarumma, Vinaldum all in the same window to try and get this, you know, like to me, it honestly feels like PSG are trying, we're trying to just win the Champions League right before the Qatar World Cup to have that double blow. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm just being speculative and I probably am, but it feels that way. And so to see them fail in this sort of way is not really surprising, is it?
0: No. And and Adrian, I, I agree with what you said and I like the rant. I'm just going to dive a little bit more and just <clears throat> kind of say some things that, because I, I don't care that PSG loss. I think it's kind of funny. But I just want to dive in a little bit deeper, and I'm sorry to anyone who, who's a fan of PSG, but to kind of go on to to what happened in, in this match, just to give everyone out there who may not 100% know, but to going in this match, obviously PSG was up one nothing. But if you look at the Madrid, I mean, one, the biggest thing for them is that Benzema was fully fit, but Mendy wasn't available, which brought in Fernandez we had a, a huge one, Casimir, which we, I think all three of us or four of us before said that this is going to be the biggest part. So he wasn't available. Tony Cruz was clearly at like 50%. He got subbed off in the 57th minute. So this team was honestly running on fumes coming into this match. And on top of that, they were down, again, Mbappe scored a nice goal. And the, if you put money on it when they were down 2 nothing at halftime, you, you, you would have been a genius. Because the one play that I want to highlight, just to show again, the individuals was Neymar gave the ball away when it was one, one deep into uh Madrid's half. And then he gave it to Luka Modric. And there was about, I don't know, seven different blue shirts around Luka Modric who took the ball completely up the pitch, completely unmarked, giving every, like you said, giving everything for Madrid, because he's a Madrid player through and through at 36 years old. And to play a beautiful ball into Vinny jr. who I then found Benzema to put the ball in the back net, or then found Modric to find Benzema to put the ball in the back net. It just screams because you saw when Neymar gave the ball away and just that half half ass effort back to can't even defend and can't even get the ball back from a 36 year old when there's seven blue shoots, shirts around him. It was just incredible. It's just like they gave up, that they got mad, they got upset, and then they just they pissed it away. There's no other way. But there was just so many things going against Madrid why they shouldn't have gone through, and PSG had to literally, in my opinion, hand the game to them on a silver platter to go through, and they did exactly that
1: as they always do. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to add to what you guys said. I think it's it's pretty much spot on. Um, the one thing, of course, that I find curious is that the player that PSG has sort of made out to be this big icon for the club, uh, Kylian Mbappe, who they spent a ton of money on and... I mean, we all can agree they tried the same with Neymar. Neymar is a passenger at this club now. Uh, Same with Messi. Mbappe is going to leave and join Real Madrid. He's going to the very club that he tried so desperately to knock out. And I think if that tells you a lot of things about the sporting project there. And listen, here's here's something important that I want to point out. PSG are not a small club in the grand scheme of European things. They're not like Chelsea. We were like a mid-table team that was sort of catapulted to the big stage. Yes, they had a bad time in the late 90s, early 2000s. But when I grew up in the early 90s, PSG were a big club of George Ware and a lot of other big names like Ronaldinho played there before um, you know, before they became um, this this enterprise owned by a Middle Eastern company. And so, you know, they are a big institution, but it seems like almost they're trying too hard in terms of bringing this glitz there. And um, the players that they're bringing to Paris to sort of make this product are not even buying into it because they're just looking for a way out. And that gives you the question, like the Bundesliga, for example, there's so many guys in the Bundesliga at the moment that come from this PSG academy who would probably play their heart out for this team? Uh, we look at guys like Nkunku or Diaby, who are the superstars now in the Bundesliga, and they come from PSG's academy. And you just wonder: is like, would they maybe be better off to bank on more guys from within rather than bringing in this glitz and glamour? And I think it would probably make them a better club, and they probably still win league uh, every year. Um, it might be a little bit more difficult, maybe not to win the Champions League, but. It would be more authentic. And I think this is maybe where they themselves have to look hard in the mirror and say, maybe we should actually try to be a Paris club rather than a Barcelona, Real Madrid, or some Premier League institution. That's just maybe my final thoughts on this. Um, Guys, we have a couple more topics. Man City against Sporting, 0-0. I don't think there's much there. Uh, Sorry, Adrian, but... mm. Unless there is something we want to say about I
2: it. I literally have nothing to say about that match. Okay. I didn't even bother watching it.
1: Okay, cool. So I second um, that. <laughs> okay. I don't think anyone did, but um, yes. Okay, cool. So let's briefly, CONCACAF Champions League, Josh, um, three home games for MLS teams, one away. And we got a 3-1 win for New York City FC against Kommunizacionis. Uh, Sounders beat Leon 3-0, and it should have been 100-0. Uh, <laughs> that was probably the most dominant performance by any of the MLS clubs. Uh, New England against Pumas, 3-0. Um, and Cruz Azul against Montreal, uh, 1-0 for Cruz Azul at the Azteca, which is traditionally very hard to play at, right? I think this is a result that uh, Montreal will look at and think they can overtake. This has to be the year an MLS team wins the CONCACAF Champions League.
0: You'd think so. It looks pretty certain that at least three MLS sides will be in the uh, semifinals. And the one I really want to highlight, I want to get your guys' opinion on it as well, because if if I was to pick one MLS side that, to me, would embody the MLS and should be the rightful potential first winners of the CONCACAF Champions League, it would be the Seattle Sounders. I think they're the best run side in the MLS by far. I think they've had the most success. And they look like they are here to win it this season because Leon is no pushover whatsoever. But like you said, Manuel, they ran them over. The chances that they had, and obviously the possession wasn't in their side, but they had a a tactical game plan and they took it and honestly had it to precision. The amount of chances they could have had, they have a comfortable 3-0 victory, which you'd you'd assume should be enough to be able to get it through. And I think that they're they're where I'd put my money at right now. I think NYFC have had a really classy uh, performance as well this season, but I mean, I don't think the opposition has been Totally there. Uh, it, New England as well, I thought it was... I mean, that's a big performance over, over Pumas. It, it really is. The other interesting one is whether... Because I think Cruz Azul right now are, are still the bookies' favorites to take this competition home. I didn't personally see enough in that performance. Only a one nothing win at, at home at the Azteca. Like we said, it was a difficult place over CF Montreal. The return leg, I, there could be something in there, man. There's a really good possibility that there could be four MLS sides. But if you're asking me, again, the, the side that I think would be deserving of the first uh the first mls side to win the concacaf champions league is is seattle and honestly that performance that they had i think justifies it
1: yeah i would i would agree with you josh N- knowing seattle sounders quite well they are very well run and this performance was incredible i mean they were probably kicking themselves a little that the result isn't even bigger um and I, I don't think Leon will have enough to overturn this. I don't think any of these re- results uh, will get overturned in Liga MX's favor. Um, I actually do think that Montreal could maybe overturn it, Adrian, at the Big O, um, a graveyard for
2: Central American teams, isn't it? It is. The... Crumble Tekka as the concrete <laughs> cavern, as is threatening to fall on the heads of all opponents that dare enter the ring. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to be at that match. I did miss the one last night because I was a sleepy boy and kick off at 10 p.m. That's a little bit too late for me. I was falling asleep. So I did miss it last night, but I heard that it was a horrendous performance. So hopefully, I mean, I believe there, there's a certain magic to the Stade Olympique, the big O. I believe that there's a bit of magic there, and it always seems to come out whenever these uh, Champions League nights come by. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to be drinking the banana-flavored beer from the old, old taps in that place, and it's uh, it's going to be great. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I think that Montreal will pull off a 2-0 and go through. Let's hope it's banana. Um, <laughs> that's <something laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows the last time they cleared those lines? Who knows, man? Oh
1: yikes. Um okay, well then best of luck to you. Um I I, I suggest Tum's um post game, just in case, and hopefully no food poisoning. But yeah, um I think this is this is the year maybe that it's gonna finally happen. And um it's interesting that it might already be clear that it goes to MLS by the time the semifinals come around, and then we just have to determine who is the team to actually bring it home, um, which is interesting and very much, I think it's also telling on where the two leagues are heading. I think MLS is heading into a direction where they're financially outperforming uh, Liga Macchi's sites because of of, of COVID has caused a big impact, right? And um, you can tell that all these Mexican teams, um, the standard didn't seem as high as it was from them. And MLS teams just simply keeping catching up and, Maybe now overtaking them. We'll see if this is just a blip or a trend, um, something to keep an eye on. Guys, that's it from us this week. Um, we'll be back with more content next week. more maybe more out of an update of on what's going on with Chelsea. Adrian, you were raising your hand. You have something to say.
2: Speaking of we Chelsea wrap it up. Yes, the last thing that I'll add, I don't have much analysis, but speaking of Chelsea, uh, the man, James Benj, has just tweeted that their shirt sponsor, 3, has requested that they are removed from Chelsea's kit. So it's all sort of happening right now. And, uh, you know, our thoughts to the OG Chelsea supporters. Oh, I was actually just
1: wondering before we leave. So that was actually a question I had. Are they just going to play in blue shirts with the Chelsea logo on it? Because what if Nike and all these other companies pull off?
2: Exactly. That's, that's sort of the next question is, is Nike going to dream- drop them as well. So it's, it's all, in, this is a story that's going to be rapidly developing yeah. and new things coming up all the time. So we will definitely be updating you guys next week.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, um, final thoughts, Josh, anything you have to add? No, just exciting to be back. And, and honestly, yeah, we to be keeping a, a really close eye on, on the Chelsea and Everton developments. Cause again, this is unprecedented times. This entire last two years has been with COVID and, and now obviously what's going on in, in Russia. And it's just, it's just a nightmare. Just want, you want it to end. You want things to kind of return to to normality. And this is this is a scary, it is, no matter what, how you feel, this is a scary story and we're gonna have to wait and see how it develops.
1: It, it absolutely is. And I maybe it's not, I don't want to call this a positive, but I do want to call this, I, I do want to add this maybe final news piece that I just came across my screen. And there is a US secret service report that has just come out as we record this podcast that there is signs that Putin is changing his mind on the Ukraine situation and that there might be more room for negotiations. So that's a positive note. I think maybe there will be a resolution um, and we can finally end Putin's war on Ukraine. On that note, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Leave us a review, leave us feedback. It's all appreciated and we'll be back next week with more content. Until then, cheers and bye-bye.